to Making Lemonade with Abby Brown and Jessica Drake. The Positive News podcast, proving that when life gives you lemons, there's always an opportunity to make lemonade. So listeners, you might have heard that I said Jessica Trick and not Lottie Trick, and that is right. We have our guest back. Jessica, welcome back to the pod. Hello, thank you for having me back. It was a real honour to be called back. I may have told people that it was backed by popular demand. Yeah, um, why not? They don't need to know that that's not true. <laughs> and it's just Lottie's busy schedule. No, you did such a great job before. And although Lottie is not here, as she is in Glasgow at COP26, it is great to have you on board. Thank as always. Thank you very much. So Jess, I always ask Lottie um, for any interesting stories because things always happen to the Trick family. So is there anything that's happened to you recently that you think would be funny to share on the pod? Um, I don't know if it's interesting, but I did just have a real brain freeze the other morning when I was going to work and just got on the wrong train. Just went to the wrong part of London and then realised when I was sort of halfway there and couldn't do a lot about it until I got there and then had to work out how to get back to work. So um, it wasn't particularly interesting. <laughs> it was quite a classic Lottie yeah. move. It was a classic um, Lottie move, yeah. that is very true. Yes. Did you make it back to work in time or...? Yeah, I did, because I always leave very early. Obviously. I did actually still go there on time. But I didn't have time to buy coffee, which was... Oh, that's sad. How about you? The only thing I can really report is that I'm off to Dubai in a few weeks. That's all I've got. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. so that's fun. Winter sun. It's what I'm here for. So... How warm will it be? Well, when I've been before, it's been about 30, 32 degrees, which would be really nice. It's not very pleasant to play in, but... um, yeah. Can't and I'm wait. assuming it's like a, it's a dry heat. It is a very desert. dry heat, which is so fun. better than better than humid though, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. And a v- lovely town to come home to Christmas with. Yeah. So I can't and how does it affect if you're like training? Because presumably you can't really train for that heat here. Yeah, you can't. Saunas. Saunas are a mm. good one to go into. But yeah. this one time we actually tried to we had a t- like a training thing where you had to last ten minutes. The next day you have to do 15 next time 20 we went all the way up to 30 minutes in there and you were allowed out for sauna. like yeah in the sauna and you were allowed out for like little breaks but people would like pop their head out like breathe in the cold air and like close the door really quickly <laughs> <laughs> or like sit on the floor because it was cold it was actually really gross because we were really sweaty <laughs> it was awful but I mean hey we got through it and did it help no I don't think it did <laughs> If I'm honest, it made a couple of when you're playing, Ill. there's nowhere to sort of take in that cold air. You when know, you can't pop out for a little <laughs> drink, a little rehydrate and get back in. <laughs> there's none of that. You just crack on. Oh dear. But I bet you sweated out a lot of toxins. Well, yeah, that's I true. Think, is that what you do in saunas? I think so. I mean, I don't know, really. Just tend to sweat. So maybe. All the bad energy. Yeah. Did you watch Pride of Britain Awards the other night? I did not watch the Pride of Britain Awards, but I did see sort of some like clips. Yeah, it was very emotional, as you can imagine. I did have a little cry 
Um, I can't imagine. Yeah. But one, one story really stuck with me. Um, and it was the founder and patron of Sands United FC, Rob Allen, who won the Pride of Britain 2021 Special Recognition Award. Sands is a charity helping families with the stillbirth and neonatal death of a baby. The first Sands United FC grew from grief after Charlotte and Rob Allen's baby daughter died 39 weeks and three days old. The couple were then supported through their loss by Sands. However, Rob noticed there were 24 women and just three men. Rob then organised a charity football match that raised £6,000 for Sands. And the legacy of this one-off game was the creation of the very first Sands United FC, a team of bereaved fathers, grandfathers, uncles and brothers in a local football league in Northamptonshire, with the idea to help men open up and have a safe place to do so. Word then spreads to other bereaved men who are inspired by Rob, and there are now more than 30 teams across the UK. Each team's kit is embroidered with the names of the babies they have lost, and hundreds of men and their families have been empowered to open up about their loss and support each other through the sport. So on the 4th of November, it was announced that Rob Allen had won the Special Recognition Awards for everything he does for the Sands charity, which I thought was just lovely. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so you can see it being so needed with, you know, I'm I'm sure there's like a lack of funding and support in that area generally, but particularly for um, the fathers, you can see that that being kind of less of of a priority. So really great that he like managed to kind of set that up. first story um in october friends and family gathered to see 25 graduates receive their bachelor of arts degrees in communication studies from california state university in los angeles in the first graduation ceremony in a state prison Hmm. so um on twitter ca so california correction said Through the program, students take courses towards a BA in communication with a focus on organisational communication. Coursework equips students with critical thinking skills, writing abilities and experiences that foster personal transformations. So according to figures from uh, 2018-19, CDCR says inmates who um, gain academic skills while in prison are 40% less likely to resume criminal activity than those who don't finish a form of education because they have, you know, opportunities to go on to other things once they finish um, their time inside. Um, One of the graduates who kind of gave a student address during the ceremony called uh, Dara Yin said, today an education to me means freedom, redemption and opportunity. The freedom to create better lives a redeeming quality in the sense that we step out of an identity that was destructive and into the person our mothers always meant for us to be. The opportunity to show that we are not our worst decisions, that we crave to be a part of the larger society so that we can put to use our unique combination of lived experience and education. Um, So by the end of autumn, there will be... 37 incarcerated and formerly incarcerated students in the in Cal State's uh, LABA program will have earned their bachelor degree. Some have gone on to enroll in master's degrees programs. 
Um, others have started their own businesses or are giving back to their communities through nonprofit organisations. And the programmes have been so successful um, that recent changes in the law mean access to the grants that allowed these students to do this course will be significantly expanded uh, in 2023. That's fabulous. So, yeah, so quite kind of a nice story really about how people who are not in the best circumstances who didn't necessarily make uh, great choices are, are kind of being given that chance to develop and, and change kind of their lives really and and they seem to be in terms of what they're going on to do afterwards yeah I think it's important like it's not so you hear a lot of stuff about the US it's all like the death penalty and all that kind of stuff don't you but actually giving people a chance to like you said redeem themselves and giving them that opportunity to to do good and kind of see what actually they can do with their lives I think is important as well to actually because I'm sure like you said that people have made some bad choices but they probably don't always think that that's the right choice they pick now so it's also giving them that opportunity yeah and I mean to be fair California is not a state where they might have the death penalty but no. um because it's all very uh, peace and love it's all very peace and love <laughs> um but and, and to be fair, some of these men who are who have who did the um, who completed their bachelor's degree may not have had the opportunity outside of yeah. um, prison to do that. So um, yeah, it was really it was a nice, yeah, fab, nice uplifting, uplifting story. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Have you got any? animal stories for us this week any animals in scotland no i don't have an animal story that's actually quite sad isn't it that's a shame i've got a tree story for lottie oh my next story is a tree story for lottie okay so on that every fall a hillside along oregano how do you say that oregon oregon oregano you should know the state yeah i don't want to say oregano (laughs) (laughs) oregon (laughs) oregano <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> Every fall, a hillside along Oregon's Highway 18 greets passers-by with a massive smiley face formed by trees, which is created by Hampton Lumber in 2011. The smiley face features a mix of Douglas fir and larch planted during a reforestation of the area. The large trees have been organised in such a way that during autumn, their needles turn yellow and create the body of the smiley face, while the Douglas fir makes up the eyes and the mouth. After harvest, our foresters design and implement plans to ensure regrowth of a healthy forest, said Kristin at Hampton Lumber, depending on the location and environment. Seedlings of several different tree species are often planted, the massive smiley face made of trees will be visible every fall for the next 30 to 50 years. Yes, I saw this and it looks really, really great. You can see the photos and it stands out so well, like the orange against the, the yeah. forest of the rest of the trees. It's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, looks really good. So you can see that from the road, can you? Yeah. Yeah. But can you? How can you? Surely you have to have a bird's eye view. Well, no, because it's probably just on like a hill, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? You can see it from like afar. It's not going to just yeah, be like yeah. facing <laughs> upwards. <laughs> you have to be a bird to look at it. <laughs> uh, I, for a moment, I thought, well, all land surrounding the road has got to be flat. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. 
course it does. <laughs> oh, so good. No, it's really lovely, and I thought last year appreciate a good tree story. Another, I have an environmental story oh, I love um, to, to sort of fill in for her because I know she likes that. So uh, my environmental story is um, about... That sounds like my environmental story is... Is <laughs> 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 about um, an organisation called The Ocean Cleanup who are based in the Netherlands. And since 2013, they have been developing technology to remove plastic from the ocean on a large scale. So on the 9th of October, the final test was completed and over a 12 week test period, they collected 3.8 tonnes of waste. So the system works by dragging an 800 meter artificial coastline, which is like a flexible barrier basically between two boats in a U shape. So the two boats go and then the, the artificial coastline like gets dragged behind them in yeah. a U. So, and they pull that through this particular polluted area called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch mm. or GPGP, Ooh. which I'm sure lots of you will know about. Yeah, um, sure. So this is a different system to kind of previous iterations that they tried because of that that kind of towing motion whereas in other times they kind of let it be moved by the wind and let it float but this kind of really i think effectively captured the uh rubbish and plastic flows into the uh sort of bit they're dragging the material and then kind of floats into this what they call retention zone um but fish can actually swim in and out of the system so they don't get stuck mm, in it that's good and they've actually got quite a nice video on their instagram on the ocean cleanup instagram and you can like see from inside the barrier and you can see the oh, fish that's cool swimming around doing their thing that was going to be a question um, of mine actually about the fish but about the fish. covered it so yeah I'm glad yeah. done my research yeah I'm glad. um so they also have a really good video on their website and on youtube where you see them kind of like drag this massive um thing onto this boat and then like hoist it up and then empty it onto the deck and it's just so much is there rubbish it's insane so a little a little game for you abigail oh i love the game god you're just like your sister (laughs) (laughs) i know right this is is a great game so guess the waste can you name some some waste that you think they collected plastic bottles i I would imagine so it's actually not on my list okay fabulous rope i want to say like rope or something on my list okay (laughs) (laughs) Get the things on the list, Abby. Uh, <laughs> fishing nets. Fishing nets? Yes. Yeah, fishing nets. Correct. Um, it's kind of all I've got, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, uh, glass bottles? Re- not no, on the list. Not <laughs> <laughs> Right. There's <laughs> other fishing type products. So, um, like the crates, you know, like you would get lobsters yeah. in, like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Loads and loads of those. Um, boys not people boys yeah (laughs) snow shovels really wow yeah scuba diving 
I call them scuba diving feet, but you know, the little flippers on your feet. Yeah, flippers. Um, <laughs> toothbrushes, a lot of toothbrushes. Toothbrushes? Which is why you want to be using your bamboo. Yeah. Your recyclables, etc. Um, A mannequin. They found a mannequin. Toilet seats, vacuum cleaner parts, tra- traffic cones, golf balls, a lot of golf balls. Even some AstroTurf, some toy soldiers, a fridge and a tire. And this was just in just some of the highlights from this this one load that they did. So that's mad. Um, yeah, it's quite astonishing when you look at it. Um, they have a video where they kind of look at all this and look at the waste that they find. So um, we've got our environmental content in for the week. So that's good. Meets all these quota. We have had strict instructions on this one, well haven't we? <laughs> she is normally the uh, the boss. <laughs> <laughs> Zerato Art is a high-profile streamer who started streaming marathons to help with the drought in Utopia in 2016 and has helped become a staple in the French Twitch community and has been raising more and more money every year. What, what's a Twitch community? I think it's like online community. Oh, okay. Yeah. Z Event is the biggest French charity streaming marathon which took place last weekend for its sixth edition, and it has broken several records once again. After a three-day marathon where over 50 streamers gathered to host the various events and set donation goals, over 10 million euros were raised for the non-governmental organisation Action Against Hunger. The event doubled last year's amount and saw an increase in viewership as well. The event peaked at nearly 1 million viewers, including all participating streamers' audiences. It also featured donations from high-profile personalities and entities in the gaming community. Again, it's only a short story, but basically to highlight that the people are doing online streaming marathons in aid of action against hunger, which I just thought was fabulous. You might have seen it on the... Oh! (laughs) (laughs) With me? Yes, it is. I thought they were streaming marathons. Yeah, no. Basically, <laughs> it was a bit of a confusing one. I won't lie. Um, I did get a bit twisted at some point, but no, just like gaming, like the gaming oh, world. Okay. Yeah, I've which I think you. didn't why it probably didn't click as much because we're not in that gaming world. But yes, yeah, the gaming world hit over ten million euros, which was ridiculous. Oh wow! So people yeah. donating to yeah. watch the stream. Yeah, right. basically. Right, yeah, that makes sense because I thought people were streaming marathons, marathons, like video streaming a marathon, and then somehow they were making money. And I thought, well, that's great. Yeah, understand how that works. (laughs) Sure, how? But I've got you. I'm I'm here for you. (laughs) And that makes sense with the twitches because again, I thought that was something to do with with running. Yeah, no, it's not like a fast twitch situation in your muscles. It's online. Abigail, how do you feel about a haircut? I, I'm, yes, impartial to one. I do like to get my haircut every six months. How do you feel about the cost of a haircut? Yeah, worse when I was in London, but yeah, it's not, it's quite ridiculous. It is. 
And how do you feel about the fact that men pay a lot less? Horrendous. <laughs> I'm glad we're all on the same page about that. Yeah. So Jess Palfrey uh, in Bristol was also fed up with having with people having uh, their hair cut based on gender and that kind of cost difference. So um, she wanted to improve that inclusivity and affordability uh, and said, I'm trying to pull the hair industry into a new generation and make them realize that not all women have long hair and not all men have short hair. So um, she started training in hairdressing alongside her degree with an aim to join the army as an engineer. However, once she graduated, she pursued hairdressing. She spent four years traveling the world, which was funded by her hairdressing. Um, and I actually have a photo here described to you. Yeah. So she's in Nepal and she's got those prayer flags, I think they are, in the background with the um, mountains, I want to say yeah. Himalayas. Yeah, why not? She, she is, is cutting this guy's hair. Um, so she funded her travels by kind of cutting people's hair as she went around. And then after returning to the UK, she started cutting hair in people's back gardens between COVID lockdowns and then decided to create a business out of it. So she had some investment from family and friends. She built her own mobile hairdressing chair to fit on her scooter, which allowed her to cut hair in care homes, car parks and building sites. That's cool. um, and she has now launched an app called Do, which is D-O-O-O. And people it's a bit like uber so you can kind of book your haircut on the same day and then the stylist will travel to you and there's also a section where you could write down any conditions or disabilities or anxieties or like special requirements you have so that could help again to like match you with the, with an appropriate stylist and now alongside that original plan to like travel to clients it's also now has a shop in bedminster and as well as 16 stylists who kind of work, I think, on the app and as well in the shop. So the shop provides a safe place for LGBT, queer, non-binary and transgender people to get their hair done without discrimination. Wow. So, yeah, that's I think cool. it's interesting. That's really cool. And, and not something you'd necessarily think about, but I guess it would cause kind of a lot of anxiety and difficulty for some people, not yeah. knowing kind of where they could get their hair cut and how people would necessarily react to them yeah um, and also like with that kind of special like optional um bit where you can kind of put your other requests or or kind of information in being able to cater to people who might have difficulties visiting a hairdresser as well um so yeah, yeah that's good that that's really good. good good initiative as well like that a lot yeah really good Karagazulu, a 36-year-old farmer from Palmer's Green, North London, started a non-profit Edible London back in 2017. This non-profit Edible London was created by the need of people, animals and the planet, he tells My London. Through his leadership and hard work, his organisation has delivered around one million meals worth of fresh ingredients from various urban farms around Haringey throughout the pandemic, delivering 80,000 meals for 8,000 people shielding in that area and now. Obviously, he's very exhausted, but still standing, he says Edible London is on the verge of a huge growth spurt. He started growing fruit in his parents' garden and ended up making the whole garden edible. 
When he ran out of space and things to do, he went for a walk and came across the Wolf's Lane Horticultural Centre in Haringey, where he volunteered once a week. Using his experience of farming, electric and carpentry, Sonna says he helped the centre set up pumps and planters. Now, the centre is one of the several locations Sonna uses across the borough to grow the fruit and vegetable. We're fundamentally based in Haringey, but we work with many other boroughs. We have another growing project in Broadwater Farm, an outreach project working with Harmony Gardens. We also have a community space in Tottenham at the High Cross Centre and an amazing roof project in Stamford Hill. We're here to regenerate the land, our communities and the ways of thinking in society. We advocate for and work closely with many, many businesses to change their way of thinking. We make unused spaces edible and educate people and make people feel included. So there we have it. So Nana's story is about a new cafe in Birmingham called Soul Cafe, which is a safe space for the LGBT community. So it's a sober cafe, which provides an alternative place to get together um, other than like a night out revolving around alcohol, which people kind of said is the normal kind of classic, I guess, space where, where people tend to get together. Um, so the cafe is inclusive and it's not for profit. So it operates a pay as you feel policy so that everyone who needs access to food has it. The cafe welcomes everyone that comes through the door, um, particularly people from marginalized groups, including people of color, trans and gender non-conforming people, those with disabilities, um, neurodiversity, asylum seekers, refugees, and the homeless. So the BBC reported that since opening its doors, the cafe has become a safe haven for the community, a place for people to share stories, enjoy food and support one another. The Popular Cafe has launched several workshops and focus groups, including a queer book club, 361 Sober and Trans, Black and People of Colour check-ins. Their website says every week we offer a different menu of homemade, delicious and nutritious vegan food. We've teamed, teamed up with the incredible Surplus Project to turn perfectly good food they source from supermarkets and restaurants into wonderful meals. We are conscious about the need for food redistribution and food access and to reduce food waste and cut our carbon footprint in every way possible. I watched a video um, where people had been who went to the cafe were talking about it and these two um, kind of younger women that were being interviewed were talking about it and said that they had found it a really great space to kind of just get to know other people in the community and to learn from others. Um, they were saying that they didn't know like much about gender pronouns so it was really, you know, they found it really useful to kind of be able to talk to people who were maybe older or who, you know, had, had more experiences than them who could share their thoughts on it and not in a kind of patronising way, but in a very kind of welcoming and, and sharing way. So that is it, ladies and gents, for episode six. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on our podcast again Jessica really hope you've enjoyed it um but as always as Lossie and I always say we're not the experts so our stories we've spoken about are in the show notes and hopefully yeah we'll bring you some more positive news in a few weeks time but Jessica thank you very much for for coming on thank you for having me Abigail it's been a real pleasure good until next time see you later thanks bye